and the oscar goes to tom hanks in philadelphia and the oscar goes to lupita nyong'o and the oscar goes to halle berry in monsters ball and the oscar goes to hilary swank in boys don't cry and the winner is marvelous meryl streep and the oscar goes to heath ledger in the dark Knight. and the oscar goes to olivia colman Welcome to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I'm the one bottle of booze that uh, Nicholas Kidd should not get to drink down and leaving Las Vegas, Joey Gentile. And frailty, thy name is Brandon. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is uh, this week's episode of Academy Queens, the class of 1995. Man, we are halfway through the season already. That's true. And you know what I realized? I don't know if my math is correct. But I believe we're also just about halfway between the year where we started and the present day. Yeah, I don't do math, so I'm going to leave it up to you and probably say that's a, that's a true fact. I think, give or take a year, we're halfway between 1970 and today. Yes, and I also noticed something that is, you know, we've been very vocal always with saying that we never um, record these in order. However, this third season, you know what we've done? We just about recorded in order. Yeah. So far. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's been quite interesting because usually we're all over the board, but we're actually going per year. But uh, something else that is a little bit fun with this season is that we bring we've brought in a lot of guests, and I've been very happy with who we've had so far. But this next one that we have on for today is kind of a special one for you and I. Yeah, a little bit. Do you want to get back into that story on how this person came to be? Sure. So if you've listened to a few episodes or you listened to the roundtable from a few weeks ago. You know that this person we have on is part of the reason this podcast exists, even if he doesn't quite realize it, although I'm sure he does by now. He commented on one of the And the Runner of Biz posts, and then Joey and I both jumped on that little thread, and that's how we met and realized we both lived in Cleveland, and that's how this podcast came to be. Uh, don't need to rehash it too much, because I'm sure our avid listeners have heard it a few times already. And um, that person is Andrew Carden. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Welcome back. It's an honor, as always. Uh, it's finally good to have you on, like, an, an actual episode episode. I know. It's, uh, honestly, I mean, I have to say, yours is, your podcast and Kevin Jacobson's, uh, the Runner Up Is podcast, are my two very, very, very favorites. I think it's essential listening for Oscar fans. Oh my gosh. I feel like I've just been, like, bestowed knighthood from the queen herself. <laughs> that is delicious, and thank you very much. I feel like we just won the the Oscar of podcasting right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's I mean that's a big that's a big compliment, you know, especially because someone like Kevin has he's been in the game a while, and Brandon and I are still in our first year, so it's been it's been that was a very much an honor, and I I, I definitely appreciate that. Thank you, thank you a lot. Of course. So um, one of the things that uh, I don't know if we've ever mentioned before to our listeners is that when we have a guest on, we give them the option to choose what year they want to do. And you chose 1995. Is there a reason behind that? Well, um, you know, I think it's actually I'm not completely fond of all of these nominees in Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. But I think overall, this was one hell of a year for women on the big screen. I think you could fill up these two categories with five stellar turns and not use any of the oscar nominees 
I mean, that's I, I I will agree with that. None of these movies super like stand out to me as like quote unquote iconic um, films. Maybe maybe Apollo thirteen because it's such a piece of Americana. But like I I agree with that sentiment right there. You could definitely fill up, but none of them super jump out to me personally. For for me, I think about a movie like, you know, Dolores Claiborne, which came out this year. And that alone has three incredible female performances from Kathy Bates and Jennifer Jason Lee, who was snubbed in another category this year, and Judy Parfit. So there's three performances right there. And then you consider, like, To Die For, that's another fabulous film, Nicole Kidman, Ileana Douglas, and, you know, there's... Certainly more than I'm not even thinking of. And not bending in the American president. You know, I, I love a lot of, a lot of these performances, but in terms of female performances for the year overall, I think it's a pretty gangbusters feel. Yeah. I actually just in the past year for the first time watched Dolores Claiborne and I was so surprised that I A hadn't seen it before and B Kathy Bates was such a snub this, this year. Like, oh, I know. I, I honestly think that was better than her misery turn and that's saying something it really is and she thinks the same and you know it was supposed to be a 1994 release around oscar time but it screened so poorly that the studio bumped it back to march so it ended up kind of not having a prayer both as a march release and as a release in this crowded field had it been released in 94 she would have been a shoo-in in that category for at least a nomination perhaps even i mean i suppose she probably wouldn't have won against jessica lang but a nomination for sure. Yeah. Dolores Claiborne's awesome. It's one of those Stephen King, underrated Stephen King movies that I throw around to people when they're looking for a recommendation. Her performance in that is deeply complex in a way completely different than her Annie Wilkes turn. So yeah, yeah I think it would have been a, certainly a worthy nomination and perhaps even a win in yeah. several years. And you consider, you know, uh, Judy Parfit in that, almost all of her scenes are Oscar scenes. <laughs> she oh, has yeah. amazing one-liners, and, you know, she's so sharp when she's younger, and she's so devastating and heartbreaking when she's, you know, s- stuck to her bed, and it's just so sad. But the Bates, I mean, wow, I mean, such a great showcase for female performances in that, especially for those two. Yeah, I, I agree. It's definitely a misstep. Um, 1995, though, was an interesting year because I don't know about you guys, um, but Il Postino kind of took the quote unquote uh, headline of the 1995 season due to the amount of campaigning that happened post death of Massimo Tuazzi. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you guys seen Il, Il Postino? Ages yeah. ago. Same. That movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't recall my feelings. We watched it in school. I don't know why. In like my world history class. I don't remember what my feelings were. I just, I don't understand why this movie was such a whirlwind for 1995. Like, I mean, yeah, it sucks. Maximo Tuazzi died like four days after it was in filming. But it was, it was just like, what was the, what about this movie just captured audiences at this time? Well, especially over Dead Man Walking and Leaving Las Vegas, which both got directing and lead actor, lead actress nominations. You know, I mean, without the campaign that was waged behind it, El Pastino would have been, you know, nowhere. But at that time, the Academy was especially susceptible to the aggressive campaigning like that. And it was the year after with The English Patient where it would really just go way over the top. Yeah. I remember there, this was an opening where Whoopi Goldberg actually in her monologue said, 
Uh, after tonight, we'll find out if Il Postino is Il Compostino. And I don't know why that's just always stuck with me. Well, Whoopi so. was fabulous. She was such a great host. I wish she would do it again. I do, too. I want her back so bad. Well, she's coming back to TV, speaking of Stephen King. Yes. Uh, he has heard about oh, The Stand. Yes. So yes. I'm looking forward to that. I'm a big fan of that book, and uh, I'm anxious to see what they do with it in the television world. I mean, of course, there was the miniseries in the 90s, but right, it'll be right. cool to see what they do now. For sure. For sure, without a doubt. So you actually like got got through that whole book? Yeah, yeah, I read it. Good for you. Kudos. I'm a fan of it. It's probably my top five Stephen King books. Heard that. Heard that. One of the few times I've ever like felt like I was in mourning for a fictional character who dies in it. Uh, do you want to spoil it? Who? I guess I've, people can click I've the thirty second forward button. But if you've read the book or seen the old show, uh, the character's name is Nick Andros, and when he dies, I I really felt something there. I thought it was going to be Mother Abigail, to be honest. Nah. There's something about Nick. I don't know. Nah. Um, so, uh, like last episode, I wanted to bring in a fun fact uh, every episode here from the book Academy Awards, The Complete Unofficial History by Jim Piazza and Gail Kinner. And there's only one fun fact about the 1995 uh, ceremony, and that is a first. Susan Sarandon was the first person to win a Best Actress Oscar playing a nun. Which, to be honest with you, I'm having a hard time believing. Because my mind is like scatterbrained trying to think of everyone pre-1969. We're not counting, uh, well, I suppose Jennifer Jones in Song of Bernadette wasn't none. Yeah, but according to this Oscar history book, Susan was the first at the 1995 ceremony. Or 1996 ceremony. See, I feel like I should know this because I wrote an article, <laughs> I think I wrote an article for Gold Derby several years ago when uh, Melissa Leo was in the supporting actress race for a novitiate, and mm-hmm. I thought I did a list of actresses who were nominated for playing nuns, but perhaps none of them had won before Sarandon. So that's what I mean, like, I felt very scatterbrained reading that, I was like, uh, wait a minute. Gentlemen, this year of Best Supporting Actress nominees were... Joan Allen and Nixon. Kathleen Quinlan in Apollo 13. Mira Sorvino in Mighty Aphrodite. Mary Whittingham in Georgia. And Kate Winslet in Sense and Sensibilities. All right, starting off with Kate Winslet as Marion Dashwood. This is her first of seven nominations for Sense and Sensibility. Going into Oscar night, she was kind of a force to be reckoned with as she was nominated for the Golden Globe, won the BAFTA, and won the SAG Award for Best Supporting Actress. In Sense and Sensibility, it is the Emma Thompson-written screenplay based off the Jane Austen novel where Kate, again, plays Marianne and uh, Marion Dashwood, and she the story follows the Dashwood sisters, who are members of a wealthy English family, and uh, it takes them along or takes you along the ride of their circumstances after the father has passed, and Kate Winslet ends up in a star-crossed lover situation with Hugh Grant and Professor Snape himself, Alan Rickman. Um, Andrew, since you are the guest, start us off. What do you think about Kate Winslet as Marion and Sun Sensibility? Um, it's not really my cup of tea, I have to be honest. Um, well, for one, I think it's the most egregious of category fraud 
Um, I believe she actually has more screen time than Emma Thompson does in the film. Um, I don't think it's a bad performance. I'm just not terribly fond of this film. I think that, you know, I know that Joey, for instance, you're not too fond of the Merchant Ivory productions. Um, I actually am. But I think that what Ang, I think there's something missing in Ang Lee's film that is present in the Merchant Ivory productions, like a certain feeling behind it. And I find Sense of Sensibility kind of sleepy, uh, never really grabs me. And there's nothing that Winslet really does to put the character over the top for me or really, you know, engage me. I think it's a very, you know, competent and workmanlike performance. And there's perhaps hints of greatness to come, but it's never a performance that really strikes me as that compelling, honestly. I agree for the most part. Uh, yeah, Sense and Sensibility doesn't really do it for me either. Um, it's always one of those Ang Lee movies that I forget is an Ang Lee movie. Like, if you asked me to just start listing his filmography, it would take me a while before I would remember that Sense and Sensibility was one of them. Yeah. And um, when it comes to Kate Winslet, I, I think you're right. There is definitely some promise in her performance. Like, you can see that there's something there. But it doesn't really work for me all that much. What she does sort of have working for her is I think she is doing this whole heart-on-your-sleeve Jane Austen thing that I think it is working, considering the nature of this story and the source material that it's coming from. And I 100% believe that she's a Jane Austen character. So it's working for me in that sense. But overall, I'm not too fond of this film. And I can see the argument for category fraud taking place here. So, yeah, my feelings are a little mixed on it. Well, I mean, I don't think it's going to be any surprise that I'm not a huge fan of, again, period pieces. I've been very vocal on that. Um, so this is one that took me a couple tries to get through the first time and then revisiting it. I think I broke up this this last viewing over the period of a week because I just, like, I can't do it anymore with these Emma Thompson period pieces. Like, I, I'm so glad we're pretty much done with these almost for the nineties. Cause I'm just, I don't want to talk about him anymore. Um, I, Winslet, it's just fascinating to me that Winslet gets the nomination for this when heavenly creatures was the year before and it was right there. And you like the Academy could have been really bold and have really like shown their welcome to Winslet with that. And they do this. Um, it's fine. But again, I, I commented on this, I think last week or maybe the week before, um, we, it's just the same English story, same English acting by different English actors. It's nothing new, exciting. Regarding the category thing, I view this movie as an ensemble piece, so if anyone's in the wrong category for me, it's Emma Thompson. Um, but that's, again, for me, the ensemble idea, you know, that's just how I view it. But yeah, this, I, this isn't anything super special to me. I'm not a fan. Yeah, I think when it comes to movies like this, I'm much, I'd be much more interested in just reading the book than watching the movie. I don't know if that yeah. makes any sense, but sometimes when I watch uh, like something like Sense and Sensibility or a uh, Merchant Ivory film, I just feel the compulsion to just pick up the book and start reading it, because I feel like I'd get more out of it. This is one of those examples. I, I mean, yeah, I definitely feel like it's just one of those, like, womp, womp, you know, moving on performances. And honestly, I gotta say, I think we might all be in agreement on that one. I can't even speak to a single scene that she really stands out in for me. 
you know, it's just, it's not a bad performance, but I just can't get terribly excited about it in really any way. And not too that anyone would have known in the 90s, but when we look at what will come from Winslet, this doesn't really stand out as probably at all her best nomination. No. At she's, all. <laughs> she's doing her job. Yeah. That much we yeah. can say. All right. So next we had the year's winner, Mira Sovino, as Linda Ash in Mighty Aphrodite. This is her sole nomination and win. Going to Oscar night, she was also a force to be reckoned with as she won the Golden Globe, the Critics' Choice, the National Board of Review, and the New York Film Critics Association for Best Supporting Actress, but was nominated at the BAFTAs, the LA Film Critics, and SAG for Best uh, Supporting Actress. Um, Mighty Aphrodite is a Woody Allen picture where Sorvino plays a ditzy hooker with a heart of gold, um, who really ends up just, you know, wanting a family, wanting to be an actress, wanting so much more from life. And, um, Brandon, what do you think about her in this? I like acting. I want to study. I love that entire little monologue that she has about doing that scene with those two guys (laughs) doing it to her from behind and then she realizes this is her calling there's something about this performance that for some reason charms me i'm not sure if it's her crassness or how seriously she takes her work which i guess i kind of admire but there's something that that just really works for me and i find so many of her lines just so funny i'm not sure if it's just the uh this old 1930s way that she's delivering these very modern r-rated lines or what but for some reason this this performance just makes me really happy i don't know why well i think you guys know i i adore woody allen films um and manhattan is among i think my three favorite films of all time Hannah and her sisters annie hall etc and i especially love the women in his films whether it's diane keaton and annie hall or interiors or geraldine page and interiors etc that being said, I actually don't care for Mighty Aphrodite. I think it's um, certainly, I wouldn't say it's necessarily among his worst films because he's made some truly bad films, especially recently. But boy, I think that all the Greek chorus stuff totally flops. I think that Helena Bonham Carter's doing kind of a bad Judy Davis impression. And I think the screenplay is kind of lousy for the most part. Now, that being said, I do actually like Mira Sorvino in this. I think she's, as you say, very charming. I think she's, um, you know, very sexy and sweet and um, very entertaining. But I wouldn't put this performance on the level of, say, you know, Diane Weiss and Hannah and her sisters or Geraldine Page or in interiors or, you know, the, the creme de la creme of Woody's uh, women. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have a hissy fit about this win, but... I'm not in love with it either. See, I'm going to have a hissy fit with this win because this is fucking terrible. This is, I don't understand. Like, yes, I will agree with you, um, Andrew, that Woody's women, he writes really good roles for women. And I would say for me, there's just a handful that I really, truly appreciate. But this is not one of them. Mira Sorvino, I've never found to be a good actress. Like, I thought she was terrible in Romy and Michelle. I don't know what else she's done because you don't really have a career. And yes, I'm throwing shade there, but sure, I guess she's done other things. But, like, this is a head-scratcher of a nomination for me. This is a head-scratcher of a win. 
like just like in Romy Michelle, she's got this weird accent that she's doing. It comes off like she's almost like like Charles Barkley on SNL, like reading off of telecard like prompt cards that just she's not even trying to phone it in. She's just reading these lines. I just don't understand what was behind this campaign to get her this win because she's not very good. There's nothing there that makes me care about this character and she doesn't draw me in like, uh, I don't know. See, at least, you know, I have my issues with Woody Allen movies and what we've talked about so far with Woody Allen films, but like, for an example, I'm not a huge fan of Geraldine Page in interiors, but at least Geraldine Page in interiors, I believe her. You know what I mean? Like, she's, I believe she's this character. Sorvino here isn't doing Ash any favors at all. I think this is a terrible, terrible win. Well, I think the problem really is that the whole film is really written on a, a very sitcom level. And I think that Mira's trying to kind of emulate what Jennifer Tilly pulled off the year prior in Bullets of a Broadway in terms of, you know, kind of a daffy, um, irresistible comic turn. But, I mean, she honestly doesn't really have the talent that Jennifer Tilly has. Um, I do think that she does have a lot of charm, but she just can't rise above the screenplay. And I suspect maybe another actress could have done so, but Mira's not the one to do it. To echo a little bit of what you guys are sort of saying, I think there is a little bit of, um, there's a general phoniness to a lot of this film. Um, like you were mentioning, Andrew, the Greek chorus stuff. That all feels very cerebral on Woody Allen's, Allen's part. And I found myself eye rolling when I revisited this movie because it felt to me like Woody Allen just showing off how well read and smart he is trying right. to bring in this whole Aristophanes type thing into this mm-hmm. story. And I think Mira Sorvino's character sort of echoes that phoniness because I never really believe that she's a real porn star. It always it feels like an artifice of a porn star. Mm-hmm. both in the stories that she tells and the way she's playing this character. So I guess considering the movie as a whole, it kind of works for me because it all, for me, it kind of gels in that way. It all kind of blends into this phoniness that I don't know if Woody Allen's doing on purpose or if it's just the way it all played out once it was all cut together. But there is something about this character that I do enjoy for whatever reason that I can't quite put my finger on. So I'm not going to write her off as bad in this, but I wouldn't say it's the the greatest supporting turn in a Woody Allen film. I'm not going to say that either, but I'm all right with it. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but after Mighty Aphrodite, there was like a big dry spell for Woody with the Academy, right? Up until kind of the curse of the Jade Scorpion, right? Didn't he get a a screenplay nom for that? Well, he got a screenplay nom for uh, Deconstructing Harry in 97. And then uh, Sweet and Lowdown got uh, nominations for Penn and for Samantha Morton. So there was that. But then he really went on a dry spell until, I believe, Matchpoint, which was, I think, 2005, 2006. Yeah, so it seems like, to me, maybe, like, this was the, um, this was the puttering gas in the Woody Allen territory for quite some time. Like, too much happened for him at once for, quote-unquote, really good writing, in my opinion. And then, you know, it slowed down, and then he had to take a couple years and resurgence. Uh, but that's just me. Well, I think there was also just some leftover goodwill from Bullets Were Broadway the year prior, which people, you know, were just head over heels for. Yeah. I would like to point out in this book, too, for um, it mentions a critic from San Francisco Examiner wrote, Servino is an inspired comedian. She has the timing and non-chalice of Judy Holiday, a gifted mimic. And I'm, and I'm just thinking, like, 
did they really just compare this bitch to Judy Holiday and Born Yesterday? <laughs> right. I mean, like, at the time, they really did. That seems to be the style they're going for, because, like, that's, like, when I mentioned that she had this, like, 1930s, 40s, 50s way of delivering her lines, it does seem like they're going for that Judy Holiday, Mae West style of old Hollywood comedians, but in a very, you know, modern pornographic sort of setting. So that there's that phoniness coming back in where Woody Allen's just trying to plug all these different things into the story and kind of make them work, and somehow th- it does work by not working. I don't know what it is. But see, I could see somebody like, let's say, Leslie Ann Warren doing this in the 80s and just knocking it out of the park. I'd agree. I but could see we, that. Didn't we already kind of see her, though, with that with Victor Victoria? Is that why? Well, yeah, that, that's what I think, because I think that a lot of the writing in Victor Victoria is kind of sitcom level. I mean, albeit really good sitcom level. But mm. she rises. She really makes that character her own and really elevates the material in a way that I don't think that Mira Sorvino does in this film. Okay, I could see that. All right. Next, we have Mayor Winningham as Georgia Flood in Georgia. It's what? what what's the? What, what was it in Lady Bird? What the was titular that? role. The titular role. Thank you. She's is the titular role in Georgia. This is her sole nomination, and going into Oscar night, she won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Supporting Actress and had the SAG nomination uh, for Best Supporting. Um, in Georgia, again, Mayor, Mayor plays Georgia, the more successful country music star, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character, who is kind of just sick and tired of dealing with her sister's mess and eventually has to put on the tough love and get her, get her together. Otherwise, her sister's gonna die. She's gotta save her sister's life. What do you guys think, Andrew, of Mayor Winningham in Georgia? I think she's absolutely brilliant. And it's the kind of performance that, you know, you wouldn't think the Academy would recognize because it's just so low-key and laid back and quiet and subtle. Um, whereas Jennifer Jason Lee, who is just as brilliant, but in terms of tone, is the complete opposite and really has the, you know, quote-unquote, juicier role. You would think that they would gravitate toward Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, but instead, Mayor Winningham got the nomination and, and so well-deserved although I don't think she's really a supporting actress in it. Um, I think it's still a, a terrific performance. I think very lived in. I think she has a beautiful voice. And I think that she and Jennifer Jason Lee have such a convincing rapport as siblings. Uh, I think it's just fabulous that Mayor Winningham has an Oscar nomination, and I wish that she had done more uh, on the big screen afterwards. I so badly want to go to a Mara Winningham concert after seeing this. Um, I was I was reading that apparently she has recorded some music um, over time. I think she has like three or four albums out. Um, I'm not sure how successful her music career was, but um, she's out there doing it apparently. Um, I think she has a real naturalism to her in this film, and I agree. You would think of the two performances, the Academy would gravitate more toward a Jennifer Jason Lee type performance. Because her character, Mayor Winningham's, is very subdued in this and quiet. And it's almost a little bit too authentic in a way, you know, for the Academy to gravitate toward it. And I think she's fabulous in it. Um, I don't know how much we can believe IMDb trivia, but apparently Mayor and Jennifer were childhood friends. Apparently they met at summer camp way back in the day. So I think that um, camaraderie you see between them and that very believable sisterhood you see between them on screen has to do with them simply having known each other for a few decades at that point. And yeah, I think she's really great here. Um, 
I think she has a beautiful voice in this. And the scene where they're singing together, their duet, where Mara attends, uh, or Georgia attends her sister's concert, and her sister brings her up on stage, and they sing one of Georgia's old songs in two very contrasting uh, tones of voice, um, I think is just a really fun scene and really shows their sisterhood in full flesh. I really enjoy her in this. I um I hadn't seen Georgia since I worked at Blockbuster almost a decade ago. So revisiting it for me was like watching the movie for the first time all over again. Because, yes, while I knew the concept of the movie and I remember certain things about it, there was, there was also a lot that I forgot about it and took a lot more from it this time. Mainly, yes, this is the subdued performance of the two. I agree with you guys. However, while it's more subdued, I think it's more showy in range of emotion. Um, I think what Mare does here, she's just, she's, she's hurting and you feel for her character because you're watching her watch her sister die and kill herself slowly. And there's nothing that she can do because she's, she's done everything and she's so sick and tired of being disappointed. And it gets to a point where she just has to cut all ties. You know, the, the, I, I've always said I'm not like a, a fan of a certain scene. Like I won't give someone an Oscar for just a scene of work. Um, but the scene that definitely stands out for me that pulls the whole thing together is after the show in, while well, when they're driving back and it's her and Ted and, um, uh, or Ted Levine and Jennifer Jason Lee and, and the husband where she's just like, you know what? I, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't be your scapegoat. You know, you're watching her sister officially say, you know what? I'm done. And I've seen that tough love in real life and I have seen it work and I've also seen it fail, but there's something in that moment that's just heartbreaking because you feel for Mayor Whittingham here. You're also done with this character. I think it's stellar work. I think it's beautiful and I, I really like it. I really want Mayor Whittingham to be my sister. <laughs> Does that Not mean that you are <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee here? Not necessarily. Not that there's anything you know, wrong with the sisters that I have, but I just also want Mayor Winningham to be one of them. You know, one thing about this movie that I really realized that I don't like, though, is that goddamn song of Jennifer Jason Lee's that lasts for what seems like an eternity, where she's like, I don't even know what the line is, but she's like, I go back, I go back, I go back, I go back. <laughs> and I'm like, shut the fuck up, uh, fuck up, fuck up, up. And I'm just like, oh my God, it's so bad. <sighs> Poor Jennifer Jason Lee. We have a while before we can talk to, about her. We actually have a uh, twenty years to the twenty years to this year. But I'm just glad she eventually got some recognition because she's a fucking firecracker. Justice for Jennifer. Right, right. All right, we got a lot of soul nominees this year because next up we have Kathleen Quinlan as Mar- Marilyn Lovell in uh, Apollo 13. Um, again, this is her soul no- her soul nomination. And going into Oscar night, she only had the Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress. And she, I don't know, not that this is really like a, this is a, a thing, but she was Oprah's pick for Best Supporting Actress that year, according to Oprah's interview with her on the red carpet. So in Apollo 13, Kathleen again plays Marilyn Lovell, the wife to Tom Hanks' character, who's been through four separate uh, space trips. And um, she really is kind of the, the, the glue that keeps the family together and the emotion that is trying to be subdued by the rest of the family watching her husband almost possibly die in space. Brandon, why don't you start with this one? What do you think of Kathleen as Marilyn in Apollo 13? She is very concerned, and that is her entire character. She kind of just has this sort of thankless 
role of being the concerned wife back on Earth while her husband's off doing this super cool, brave thing. And I don't know. Um, it doesn't really do anything for me. She's not really showing me a whole lot. And I'm not really sure that this is a an Oscar-worthy role. Um, I don't even know if a, another actress could turn something here. It just doesn't seem like that kind of role. The movie keeps trying to give her moments, like when she loses her wedding ring down the shower drain or when she's watching the television or listening to the radio in fear that her husband's possibly dead. But ultimately what's going on with her back at home is sort of the most, is the least interesting thing about this movie to me. I understand, you know, why it's there. She's kind of acting as this sort of barometer for the audience uh, to try to tell you how you ought to feel about the situation in space and how concerned you ought to be, even though this is based on a true story and we know what happened. But it just doesn't really do a whole lot for me. It just doesn't feel all that necessary, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not sure what uh, Oprah was smoking that year. Um, it really it really is a, a completely thankless role. And I, I will say, you know, she certainly um, captures the look and the feel of the, uh, the 60s uh, housewife. And I do think that uh, she and Tom Hanks do, I think, ring true as a couple. You know, they do feel very lived in in that regard, but you don't really get a whole lot of them as a couple. So you are ultimately just treated to a lot of close-ups of Kathleen Quinlan's exceedingly concerned face. And she doesn't even really get that much dialogue. So it really is a rather curious nomination. And I mean, I do think it's kind of cool that Kathleen Quinlan got an Oscar nomination over her career, but it's... uh, it's not much of a performance, unfortunately. Well, big surprise. I'm going to disagree with both of you. Um, I do want to go off of Andrew a little bit. I am very happy that Kathleen Quinlan did get a nomination here somewhere, especially because I feel like the work she did in the 70s for I Never Promise You a Rose Garden was super worthy of a nomination. And then, of course, you know, people my age, Brandon's age, Andrew, actually, I don't even know how old you are. How old are you? I am 29. Okay, so, our, yeah, you're our age, too. We knew her from, you know, The Hills Have Eyes in the, yeah, that remake. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I really enjoy Apollo 13 because um, I love history. Like, history is my favorite subject, whether it's world history or American history. Um, and I so I enjoy the story. Now, yes, she's not, again, going off of Andrew. She doesn't have a whole lot of lines, but she is very emotional and expressive in her in her being and her doings. So I do get more from it than you guys. Um, it sounds like, um, it, at Yale drama and at Juilliard, there's a, there's an exercise for actors known as the mirror and they'll play a song and it can be any song. It could be classical, you know, Shakespeare or classical, uh, Mozart, or it could be something from salt and pepper. And what you have to do with your body is you have to create, a mirrored look with somebody else to represent emotion. And um, that is what I feel that Quinlan is doing here because yes, she's so emotional the whole time. You know, I, I, I did get that sense of fear and that sense of dread from her watching her and holding her kids and talking about the news reporters on 
the front lawn and just being worried for her husband the entire time. Like that, that's an actual fear she's got. So, you know, we get the fear of the astronauts in space and, oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, we're watching it unfold and then we're getting her fear of not knowing anything other than what's coming out out of that speaker box. So she's giving us a whole nother level of terror and I really responded to it. I think what she's doing here is really good. Yes, it's smaller, but I don't think this is a throwaway role, personally. I think it's super important for the audience, and I think what she did here was really phenomenal work. See, I guess I just wish that she had more scenes. The character just feels so ill-developed to me that Mm -hmm. she ultimately just comes off rather one note. And I wouldn't say that she's bad in that one note, but it's... I mean, she certainly she certainly tries her best, and it's certainly a confident performance. But I just think the screenplay does her no favors. The screenplay treats her like a device. I think is how I feel about it. I feel like she is simply there as a writing device to to inform us of how we should feel. And yeah, mm-hmm. she is giving a competent performance, and she's giving you those emotions that she needs to in order to act as that device. But I just wish you were a more fully rounded person when the movie's over. Understood. Yeah, understood. All right. So going into our final nominee of this lineup, we have Joan Allen as Pat Nixon in the movie Nixon. This is her first of three nominations, and she was also one of the three possible winners for this category. Because going into Oscar night, she had the BAFTA and New York Film Critics Association and the SAG uh Awards nomination for Best Supporting. But then she wins the National Society of Film Critics and the LA Film Critics Association for Best Supporting Actress. And again, Joan Allen plays Pat Nixon in the movie Nixon. And in the movie, uh, as we all know, is the story of Nixon and Watergate and the tumultual presidency that he carried. And she is playing the first lady who sees through his bullshit but stands by but calls him out. Brandon, what do you think? You know, I totally believe that Joan Allen was married to the real Richard Nixon in this movie because her fire and salt is so palpable in this. I felt for her throughout this entire movie, which lasts like nine hours. And I think she's wonderful here. Um, I think this is a really great outing for Joan Allen, an actress who does not get nearly the respect that she deserves. She was kind of one of my favorite things about this movie. And I found that I actually did like the movie more than you might expect, but she was definitely up there as one of the top things that I liked about it. I think she's absolutely incredible in this. I think it's probably her second best performance uh, to date behind Pleasantville, which, which she's just absolutely wow. devastating. Um, and yeah, I mean this, this movie is just like a dizzying roller coaster ride. It, it may run forever, but I don't think it's ever boring. And though Joan Allen, I think, only has maybe about half an hour of screen time, she's always on your mind just because she leaves such a strong impression. And I think she, she has such a complicated task at hand because Pat is, she's both Richard's biggest defender and she's the most sympathetic person in the movie. So she's kind of walking this fine line and really makes Pat all the more complex a figure. Uh, I think Anthony Hopkins is a knockout as well. I think that he and Joan Allen have such great chemistry. And I think at the ends, you know, I think that that's the whole thing is just breathtaking, this film. I think it's Oliver Stone's best picture. 
I think it's one of Anthony Hopkins' best outings, and it's way up there in Joan Allen's career, and it's a career full of fabulous performances. Someone loves him some Nixon. (laughs) (laughs) Kudos. While I agree with most of what you said, I would like to throw Bourne on the 4th of July in there as my personal favorite stone Mm. picture. So I would like to go hear eventually one day what you have to hear or what you have to say about that one, because you seem to really like stone here with these political commentaries. But um, I think what Alan's doing here is spectacular. I, my biggest complaint is I, it's not even her fault. It's that costume. Like, I just feel like someone just threw together this old raggedy wig and just threw it on her and put some baby powder in and some spritz to make it like light. Because I don't know, maybe it's the gay in me that I'm just like, Ooh, this weave, this weave is not working on her. Um, but again, not her fault. Now, regarding her acting, I think she's doing really good here. Um, I agree that she is such a light in this movie. And yes, she is Nixon's biggest defender, but I also would say she's Nixon's biggest critic in this movie. Because remember, she was like, fuck you, you're not running for president or I'm leaving you. Or if you're running again. Um, and then, you know, when she's not on screen, you miss her. And when she comes back, she's there. And, uh, yeah, this could have been an easy, easy, just another wife character. And uh, Joan Allen was able to, like, really, really bring it full circle. Um, the the part of this that stands out for me is when she catches him listening to the tapes and she's like, burn the tapes. And she's smoking and she's drunk. And I'm just like, ooh, I want to get drinks with this hoe. Like, you know, she's got so much goodies to, t- to tell. And... You know, if you can do that with me with a really despicable character, like I think Pat Nixon was in real life, you did good by me, kid. So I, I really like her in this. I felt her pain in in every scene where Nixon decides he's not getting out of politics. Like every time she thinks they're out, he pulls her back in and she just wants to move on with her life and get out of the public limelight. But his narcissism won't let them and she's just so broken by it and i think joan allen really reflects that in every moment of this movie while still somehow finding a way to support him in her own way i really feel for this character even when she's even when you want her to stop and leave his ass so to speak you really feel for her nevertheless i don't know what it is about her I think that a lesser performance easily could have gotten lost in this picture because, I mean, this is a film with upwards of 20 or more big A-list names. I mean, from Paul Sorvino, James Woods, Madeline Kahn, Bob Hoskins, etc. And none of the other performances stand out nearly like Jones does. I mean, she really pops on screen. And the others, I do think, for the most part, do get kind of lost in the whole thing. So I think that, you know, she's got to get tons of credit for really going toe-to-toe with Anthony Hopkins, who looms large over this as some sort of larger-than-life Shakespearean figure, almost. She's the only one who quite reaches his level. Yeah, um, I want to... Actually, that's a great point, because I don't know if you guys remember back in the 81 episode, when we talked about Maureen Stapleton and Reds, I had mentioned... If you're going to have such a small role in such a big epic, you have to do something to stand out, which for me, Sorvino, or I'm sorry, uh, Stapleton didn't do. And um, I, I, I agree with that sentiment with this is such a big picture, you have to be able to stand out. And Alan does that here. She did, for me, what Stapleton couldn't do in Reds. 
And... I agree completely, actually. I, I don't think Stapleton stands out very much in Reds, and I don't think Stapleton would have won if there wasn't some sort of, you know, overdue career award sentiment behind it. Who were, you were Joan Hackett that year, right? Yes, but for me, Stapleton, I mean, I prefer Melinda Dillon that year as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yep. Brandon, that was your, wait, you were ragtime that year, right? Yeah, that was, my conund- that was my conundrum year where I went with Elizabeth <laughs> McGovern, who for yeah. some reason just really worked for me. There's probably going to be a day in like five years when I revisit ragtime and like, what the fuck was I drinking? <laughs> but for some reason, in the moment, I was really living for that character and that performance. So, as of right now, Elizabeth McGovern's my winner for 81. <laughs> throwback 81 <laughs> i will Moving say it is very throwback. odd that um joan allen got a lead nomination over at sag um for this year she was nominated for best lead actress over at the sag awards which i've always found kind of curious yeah she was did i oh my gosh did i do my homework wrong oh shit she took uh she took sharon stone's nomination yeah yeah just one of those very random sag placements that happens now so that would have definitely been a uh, category fraud right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Your nominees for lead actress in 1995 were... Susan Sarandon in Dead Man Walker. Elizabeth Shue in Leaving Las Vegas. Sharon Stone in Casino. Meryl Streep in the Bridges of Madison County. Emma Thompson in Sense and Sensibility. Okay, let's start with our winner for the year. That is Susan Sarandon nominated for or winning for dead man walking this is her fifth of five nominations and her first and so far only win she was previously up for atlantic city thelma and louise lorenzo's oil and the client going into oscar night she wins the sag and the kansas city film critics and she's nominated at the golden globes and at the mtv movie awards in dead man walking susan sarandon plays sister helen prejean a nun tasked with comforting and acting as a spiritual guide for a convicted killer on death row, played by Sean Penn. And as the film goes on, she struggles with her feelings of empathy for both the man who's about to die and his victim's family. So, Andrew, how do you feel about Susan Sarandon's win for Dead Man Walking? Well, I think she's in very good form. Um, I think that this is performance very much unlike most nun performances. When I think uh, an actress taking on the role of a nun, I think something more along the lines of Anne Bancroft and Agnes of God, where they're kind of chewing the scenery, have the occasional one-liner, really loom large, steel scenes, etc. And in this, Sarandon's actually, you know, really subdued. Uh, like Mary Winningham, kind of laid back, you know, taking it all in. Um, I think it's an incredibly moving performance. I think that she and Penn have a really fascinating rapport in this. And while I wouldn't consider this quite her best work or even her best nomination, frankly, uh, I think it's, you know, a deserving win. And I think it's very odd that Sarandon hasn't been nominated since. So Susan Sarandon winning for Dead Man Walking is a little suspicious to me. Um, because it's not even her best nomination. 
Uh, I think this is a sentimental vote because this was like one of those things that I hate where it's like it's, it's an about time win. And I, it's unfortunate because while she's good, she isn't blowing me away emotionally, acting-wise. Just like, she's there. She's doing her job. She's showing up and she's going home at the end of the day to smoke a joint. Um, it's, it's okay. I wouldn't say this is even like a fun role. This is just a... She's just there. Um, it's a very neutral performance for me. Um, I really like Susan Sarandon and Dead Man Walking. Um, was there an overdue factor working for her? Perhaps, probably. But I don't think that's the only reason she won, because I think she is giving a very complex performance in a very well-crafted film. And I think her performance matches what Tim Robbins is doing behind the camera. I find her philosophical wrestling in her mind fascinating as the film plays out her compassion for the Sean Penn character and her sorrow for the victim's families and how she's trying to balance her feelings for both because she wants to feel something for Sean Penn, but she's concerned that if she feels something for him, she's taking away what his fa- what the family the victims are going through and then they're coming after her for trying to humanize him. And she's trapped in this really tricky middle ground where she doesn't know what to feel and she's wrestling with her feelings and how she's supposed to be dealing with all of it. And then, you know, there's the, the faith that somehow makes its way into it. And I think Susan Sarandon is doing some very intricate work here. And I don't think this is simply an, an overdue quote unquote win. Um, yeah, she had four nominations leading into this. And so certainly that was on people's minds, but I think this is a worthy win and I don't begrudge uh, the Academy or Susan Sarandon for for her having an Oscar for this one. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm not disagreeing. I'm just that's how this performance kind of just makes me feel. I'm just okay. Joey, I mean, which is your favorite of uh, Sarandon's nominated performances? Um, Atlantic City and Lorenzo's Oil. Okay, yeah, for me, Lorenzo's Oil is the best. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this time of, at this time of recording, you haven't heard what we had for, you know, Lorenzo, the client, and Thumb and Louise yet. Yeah. But, um, you know, with 81, I did say Atlantic City was her best. And then revisiting Lorenzo's Oil, I was like, I stand corrected. This might also be her best. So I, I said those, those two would probably be it. I nope. will say, I think that, uh, Celia Weston actually gives the best, uh, female performance in Dead Man Walking. Didn't she get an Independent Spirit Award nomination for this, too? I think she did. I liked her in Palms. That She was cute in that. <laughs> All right. Next, we have Elizabeth Shue, nominated for Leaving Las Vegas. This is her first and only nomination as of today. Going into this, she was pretty much the critic's darling, because she wins the, with the Chicago Film Critics, the Dallas Film Critics, the Los Angeles Film Critics, the Independent Spirit Award, and with the National Society of Film Critics. And she's also recognized at SAG, the Golden Globes, BAFTA, and with the New York film critics. In Leaving Las Vegas, Elizabeth Shue plays Sarah, a a lonely high-end Las Vegas hooker who feels a connection to a troubled screenwriter, played by Nicolas Cage, who has come to town to basically drink himself to death, and she sort of has some destructive tendencies of her own, and they seem to be a very twisted pair. So, uh, Joey, let's start with you. How do you feel about Elizabeth Shue and leaving Las Vegas? 
fuck my pussy with a rake, mom. She is delicious in this movie. Um, I, I still have a hard time grasping that this is Shu's only nomination because she's not that she has had great material to work with since this nomination, but I think it's the fact that she wasn't given better material that she could have been quote unquote, the Jennifer Lawrence of her time because she is amazing in this, you know, leaving Las Vegas is a weirdly shot movie for the Oscars. Like it, it comes off very much like camcorder style and it's very nineties. I mean, it, it just everything from the cinematography to the music, to the feeling it's very nineties. Um, I also love that we get a little surprise from Debbie Salt, a.k.a. Laurie Metcalf in this, um, because that, you know, it's just a nice little thing about this movie. But her portrayal of Sarah is so heartbreakingly realistic that she is just at a point in her life where the only love she's going to find is this attachment to this alcoholic person just who's piece of shit. And treats her like shit, but that's all she's used to is being treated like shit. Um, I think it's fantastic work. And honestly, like she kind of reminds me of the Tony Collette hereditary situation of last year. Cause you know, the critics gave her everything, but at least with her, she got a nomination. Um, and it was very deserving. I think this is a great, great nomination. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, this was my second time watching this movie. The first time I watched this movie, all I could think about was Nicolas Cage, because he is so fucking in your face. This entire movie, and a truly larger-than-anything performance. But she is also large in a completely different way. Watching this again and zeroing in on her, she is just as self-destructive as he is, but in a much more subtly complicated way. She has her own tendencies that are totally there that she's able to convey to you without bashing your head over it, over with it. You know what I mean? Like Nicholas mm-hmm. Cage is throughout this entire movie. And I found this character very inviting in a really strange way. I felt her sort of pulling me in and her wanting me to unravel what's going on in Sarah's mind. And I found myself actively wanting to do that. Because I think this character totally deserves that kind of dissection. And Elizabeth Shue is giving you so much to work with here as a viewer. And this role, this performance, I don't think gets enough credit, partially because her co-star keeps taking the spotlight from her in a very obvious way, I guess you could say. And I think she deserves a lot more credit, basically. Um, I agree completely with you both. I think she's phenomenal here. I've loved Elizabeth Shue ever since uh, Adventures in Babysitting, which is one of my yes. all-time favorite uh, 80s films, in which she's just so charming and funny and delightful. And here it's, you know, complete 180. She's absolutely heartbreaking. I think she and Cage have a crazy chemistry together. And I, I think it's interesting that the Independent Spirit Awards this year flipped what the Academy did and gave it to Sean Penn and to Elizabeth Shue. I almost feel like I prefer that pair of wins to what the Academy uh, went with. Um, I've always found that kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, I think this is a brilliant performance. It almost kind of reminds me for some reason of um, Valerie Perrine's performance in Lenny. Um, Oh, shit. I could see that. It's kind of like that startling um, turn you know, opposites, you know, a man in free fall, basically, 
And I think that the uh, documentary style filmmaking here in some ways mirrors what Fosse did on Lenny. So, yeah, watch this performance. I couldn't help but think of that. So, yeah, I think she's amazing. I would have never put the Lenny thing together, but that makes a lot of sense. I could see that totally. And uh, like you were saying, Joey, not only does this movie give us Laurie Metcalf, it also gives us a very early Mariska Haggerty outing. Oh, that's of course, right. She, she plays the other hooker. Now, of course, uh, famous for Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Just throwing that out there. I, it, was a, it was a pleasant surprise to me when I was revisiting this movie and saw her. I had to pause and just double check that that was, in fact, her. And, of course, you get a very angry Arlie Ermy, but what's new with that? That's his default. Right. That's his default setting. That's just, that's just him. All right. Next, we had Sharon Stone, nominated for Casino. This is her first and so far only nomination. She wins the Golden Globe going into Oscar night, and she's also recognized with the Chicago Film Critics, the Dallas Film Critics, and at the MTV Movie Awards. In Casino, Sharon Stone plays Ginger, a hustler who captures the affection of a casino executive, played by Robert De Niro. They marry, and her own self-destructive relationship to money, alcohol, drugs, and her former boyfriend cause her to spiral out of control. So thoughts on Sharon Stone and Casino, Andrew? Well, you know, I think a lot like Joan Allen and Nixon, you know, Sharon Stone does all that she can to keep herself from getting lost in this film, because this is also a very long, epic picture. And I think just like Joan Allen, she does a fucking sensational job. Um, I think that Ginger's transformation from, you know, this glamorous, sensational, luminous figure who just strolls to the casinos and catches the attention of everybody to this just batshit crazy hot mess, just throwing stuff on Robert De Niro's lawn and all of her interaction with James Woods, who is just nauseatingly effective and slimy as hell in this film. I just think that whole transformation is fascinating, and I don't think Sharon Stone has ever done better work. I mean, she gives... 110% 110% in this. I think the only problem is is that she's kind of on the fence between lead and supporting. Even I can't really make a, a definite call on that. I mean, she has a lot of screen time, but the film is very long. So I think that, that that's really the question mark. Is, is she really in the right category? Um, that's my first question, is is she in the right category? Um, and I believe, I believe this is one of the performances that have been put out there with the timing and she's got like 32 minutes of screen time which equals out to about like 20 percent of the entire runtime and according to my rules that i go by would be 49 percent of screen time or below you should be put in supporting and if you're in 50 percent or more you should be put in lead um but i also feel like this is one where i can't really decide because i feel like it could work in either or um, so I'm a little weird on where to put her in my rankings, but regarding her performance, I think this is brilliant. I think this is so much fun. This is a character that I would just, you can easily choose scenery here without being corny because of the spiral that Ginger goes down. I mean, even in her death scene, she's like against this wall, like dragging herself. And, you know, she could have dragged herself like a Johnny in possession, or but she decided not to. And still it just works as and it's still as like can't be good 
Um, or can't be, not can't be, just in case that was, that sounded weird. Um, I think she's doing really good work here. I mean, I wouldn't say this is my personal favorite of her performances. I think that still belongs to Basic Instinct um, for me. But I'm very surprised that this is her only nomination. And, of course, this is one of those Pia Zadora moments with the Oscar, or sorry, with the Golden Globes. Um, a lot of people do blame the fact that Sharon, or say that because Sharon won the Golden Globe, had everything to do with writing personal thank you notes for the nomination to the HFPA. And everyone knows, like, you can buy the HFPA, you can pretty much buy yourself a Golden Globe. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my feelings on Sharon Stone here in Casino. So... I love Sharon Stone in Casino. Um, this is a movie that kind of goes way back for me. This is, like, for some reason, a movie that is beloved by my stepfather and my mom. Like, we had, like, the VHS cassettes, because it, it was, like, two cassettes, you know, in one case, because this movie's so goddamn long. And so it was always kind of just playing sometimes. Like, we didn't, like, have cable, so we had, like, a collection of tapes. And so this is just one that was occasionally in. And, like... Even as a kid, when I didn't really understand exactly what was going on in the movie, and my parents had, like, no filters on what I could and could not watch, and, like, I would just be watching this movie, and there was something about Sharon Stone that just completely enraptured me. Like, her descent into just drunken, drug-filled mania as the movie goes on, and when she's just, you know, like Andrew was saying, just throwing shit all, all over the lawn, I was just obsessed with her as a kid, and... It wasn't until, like, much later, like, after I came out, that I realized that Sharon Stone was basically one of my first gay icons. There was something about her that I was just fan- I was just fanatic about it. After Casino, I'd go on to see, like, Basic Instinct when I was, like, 12 or 13, because, again, my family didn't care what I watched. And she completely enveloped me in that performance, and I've just been a Sharon Stone stan, basically, ever since. And I think she is triumphant in casino i eat this character up and i want ginger to have her own movie i don't give a damn um but yeah like you guys are hinting at she really does ride the line here she is in a solid chunk of this movie and sharon never lets you forget that she's in this movie to the best of her ability but is this really her story and that's sort of where i determine lead in supporting so I'm still on the fence about it. I have to kind of think about it in the next 15 minutes before we get to our rankings. But I love Sharon Stone in Casino. Well, I would just say another amazing scene in this, it's kind of toward the toward the beginning of it, is when she's uh, on the phone with James Woods at her wedding to De Niro. Mm-hmm. And James Woods is just disgusting. He's like, I can feel you, I can taste you, etc. And she's just like heartbreaking. She's, you know... Just crying, and I mean, this is another performance where I feel like nearly every scene in this could almost act like an Oscar clip because she just makes the most out of every single moment. She juices all that she can, and I happen to think it's one hell of a film too, and that certainly helps her. Yeah, um, I would going off of what Brandon said a little bit. I would love. See, I don't know if I could do like a whole Ginger movie, but like how Ryan Murphy is doing the Nurse Ratched series for Netflix. I could see like a ginger series, but of course at that point you wouldn't have Sharon Stone being able to do it. It would, that would suck. Um, but I could dig like a ginger series maybe with like 
Rooney Mara as Ginger, I could get into it. I'd watch it. Mm-hmm. I don't and know. If there was a, you both were a little quiet after that one. I feel like I was alone there. I was processing. <laughs> I, was, I was processing the pitch. I'm down for that. I don't know if I'm down for it with Rooney Mara, but... Who do you think you would cast, then? Oof. Uh... Put the spotlight on you. Anna God, Kendrick, I... even. <laughs> I have it's a clue. Um, but all I know is that Sharon Stone is awesome in this. That's a good That's a good note to transition on. <laughs> um, next, we have Meryl Streep, nominated for The Bridges of Madison County. This is her uh, 32nd of 95 nominations, and she doesn't win anything going into Oscar night, but she is recognized with the Golden Globes uh, at SAG, with the Chicago, Dallas, and New York film critics, as well as with the National Society of Film Critics. In Bridges of Madison County, Meryl plays Frances- Francesca Johnson, a housewife who begins an affair with a photographer in 1960s Iowa. So, Joey, how do you feel about Meryl Streep in The Bridges of Madison County? For this being the nomination that broke Meryl's longest streak of being Oscar-less at the ceremony, uh, which was five years in between Postcards from the Edge to this, and she's never had a longer period of not being nominated, I'm not really impressed by this. The movie's really boring. Clint Eastwood's not doing anything for it. I, think, I feel like he's just very miscast. Um, her Italian accent's good, but again, re-nominating her for accent work? I don't know. You know, a lot of people credit um, that breakdown scene in the car, which is fine, I guess, but I'm not a give-a-scene person, again, for, you know, awards. I'm... I, I, I could live with it, I could live without it, but I prefer to live without it because this spot could have been someone else's. And it's, just, it's not very good for me. Well, uh, get ready, because this is actually my favorite of Meryl Streep's Oscar-nominated performances. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, that being said, though, I don't think she should have won for Sophie's Choice or Kramer versus Kramer, so just let the suspense continue for my rankings. Um, <laughs> I think she's absolutely just magnificent in this and i think that it's actually a great film overall i, I even like Clint Eastwood's performance um i just think the whole film is just so sensitively directed and acted uh i think that streep is just absolutely beautiful in this and i think that scene in the car um it just destroys me every time uh, i think that she and eastwood have a, a beautiful chemistry um you know, what others may see as rather boring in the film, I again see as just very, you know, touching, subdued, incredibly moving. Um, I think the Italian accents is dead on, and I don't always consider Streep's accents all that dead on. Um, I don't know. I think this is absolutely her most underrated performance for sure. And for me, looking over all of her nominations, it's, it's my favorite of hers. It kind of reminds me of what Summertime was to Katherine Hepburn, and that nobody really thinks of Summertime as Katherine Hepburn's best performance, but I, I actually happen to consider it her best work. And I think it's because she's just so refreshingly laid back. Um, the lack of showiness to the performance, I think, is just so refreshing. And I think the way David Lean directed Hepburn is similar to the way that Eastwood directs Streepier. I think that it's you know, surprising what they managed to get out of the performance. And I don't think that we see them in this kind of form in many other performances over their careers. So I just, I love this film, and I think Streep is just absolutely fabulous. 
I really like Meryl Streep in the Bridges of Madison County as well. I don't know if this is the right word for it, but Clint Eastwood's handling of this material might be his most feminine handling of it, of the material that he's done so far that I can think of. It just feels very natural and lived in and delicate. Maybe that's a better word for it. Sensitive? Yeah, perhaps. And I think that comes through in Meryl's performance. I think Andrew's pretty spot on with what he was saying there. I think Meryl's performance feels very genuine and lived in, in a way that really rings true for me. And you know what? Um, a lot has been said about that that scene in the car in the rain in the end. And in that scene, Meryl convinced me that it was a good idea to run away with Clint Eastwood. And that's saying something, because I don't know if I would run away with Clint Eastwood. But, um, yeah, I think she's really good here. Uh, I dig it. I don't know what else I can say that wasn't already said. But um, I think this is a really good one for Meryl. Um not that I'm trying to dissuade you guys away from Meryl here, because clearly that's not what I'm here to do. But I want to recast this for a second and get your opinion on it. Carol Kane, I think, would have been really good for this. Hmm. What do you guys think? I would watch um, it. I mean, I love Carol Kane, and I think she's absolutely incredible in Hester Street. Um, I don't know if she... See, I could picture somebody like, you know, Angelica Houston, perhaps... Um, but that is interesting. You know who just randomly came to mind for me? Uh, Jane Alexander. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. would like to see that version. Winner, winner. I could see that. Well, I know yeah. that, um, when, I don't know if Eastwood was attached to the project yet or not, but I know that the author wants it, Isabella Rossellini, to portray the role in, I think, the early 90s when it first um, started getting into pre-production and that fell through. I suppose she would have been great, too. That would have made sense from just a casting perspective. Sure, sure. See, I don't like her. I think it's... There's something about her that just comes off very phony in her acting for me. That's just me, though. But I wanted to like this. I'm not, like, hating on Meryl for this one, but I, I wanted to like this. There's, And I'm glad you guys do, but again, this is one that I just... I don't know. I'm a little different on little bit. Our final lead actress for 1995 is Emma Thompson, up for Sense and Sensibility. This is her fourth of four acting nominations, having won for Howard's End and then being up for In the Name of the Father and The Remains of the Day. And she would also win this year, in fact, for writing Sense and Sensibility. Um, going into this, her uh, wins for acting came from BAFTA and the National Board of Review, and her nominations for acting came from the Golden Globes, the London Film Critics, SAG, the New York Film Critics, and the Critics' Choice Awards. In Sense and Sensibility, Emma Thompson plays Eleanor Dashwood, whose husband has recently died and left the majority of his estate to his eldest son from his first marriage, leaving Eleanor and her daughters in basically dire straits. So, Andrew, how do you feel about Emma Thompson and Sense and Sensibility? Boy, I mean, you talk about those four performances and then this one, which is perfectly fine, but just pales in comparison to uh, the four we just discussed. I mean, the same thing that I said with Winslet. I think that this is a very serviceable performance in a rather sleepy film that I think 
there's something about it that lacks what I love about, say, The Remains of the Day or Howard's End. Ang Lee does not deliver in the way that, for me at least, James Ivory did on those films. And I don't think Emma is in nearly as interesting form as she was in those two pictures, especially The Remains of the Day. So just like with Winslet, I can't even really speak to a single scene that sticks out in my mind as, oh, that's why she was nominated. It's just, it does nothing for me. And knowing that Kathy Bates, for instance, was uh, not nominated in favor of this just leaves me all the more disenchanted. Thank you, next. I mean, I just, I don't want to sound like a broken record on it, but I don't also want to sound like such an asshole for saying, again, like, here's a, just another period piece that Emma Thompson's doing. She's not doing anything like her other period pieces. I just don't get why the 90s was so enamored with Emma Thompson. Like, it's just, she's a great actress in other things. This shit, I'm sick of it. Like, it's just, it's a, for me, I'm just annoyed with it at this point. Like, just move on and it's just giving her the same nomination for the same performances she did before. Um, you know, it's nothing new. I feel like that Jazz and Masters clip that's like, again, a fucking again, nothing new, nothing. So, therefore, thank you, next. Um, yeah, I don't feel all that much positively about her performance in Sense and Sensibility. It's not bad by any means. It is perfectly fine. Um, she's, she showed up and she did her job. Um, what I will give her for this particular outing is it does feel a, a little bit different from her other ones like Howard's End and The Remains of the Day. Her, um, Eleanor Dashwood is more intro, introspective and subdued in a way that we don't always get from Emma Thompson. Like I've, I've mentioned with The Remains of the Day and Howard's End, she has a real charisma and charm about her in those films. And with Eleanor Dashwood, this is a completely different character, and she approaches it in a very different way. And that I do admire um, from Emma Thompson. But overall, at the end of the day, it's just okay for me. I don't have the warmest, fondest feelings about this film in general. And um, my feelings on her specifically aren't really any different. Um, it's just okay for me to echo basically all of us. Heard that. So just to recap, our supporting actresses of 1995 were Kate Winslet in Sense and Sensibility. Mayor Winningham in Georgia, Kathleen Quinlan in Apollo 13, Mayor Sorvino in Mighty Aphrodite, and Joan Allen in Nixon. Um, my fifth spot that year is going to the winner, Mayor Sorvino. This is just bad. This is just really bad. Not only is it a bad win, but it's like an extra bad. No, not only is it a bad nomination, it's just an extra bad win for me. There's just so much that is not happening here, and therefore I have to give her number five. Uh, for number five for me is going to go to Kate Winslet, who I think uh, is both a really bad case of category fraud and honestly just not very interesting. I do think that there are some glimmers of the talent that's about to um, be showcased in other films, but it's not that much on display here. My number five goes to Kathleen Quinlan for Apollo 13. Um, I just don't find this character all that compelling honestly i understand why she's there and what she's what purpose she serves in the film but when the credits roll she doesn't feel like a fully rounded person i don't know all that much about her outside of she just spent the last two and a half hours very concerned and 
Um, <laughs> that's all I've really got. Kathleen Quinlan gets my number five. Heard that. Well, my number four is actually maybe Kate Winslet's. Um, I, I, honestly, the only reason she's not number five is just because I really despise Mira Sorvino in Mighty Aphrodite. So my despise for that movie and that character gives Kate a little bit of an edge. But um, I'm a little indifferent with um, what Andrew's saying with category fraud here. I think she's in the right category, but that's only because I find Sense and Sensibility to be an ensemble piece. But yeah, this is not the best of a talent that we'll see much more, much better work from. And therefore, she's my number four. Andrew, you're up. I have Kathleen Quinlan, who, again, I think it's great that she has an Oscar nomination. I really do like her personally, uh, but she doesn't have much meat to chew on here. Uh, again, I find the role rather thankless. I think that she and Tom Hanks do make a nice, convincing couple, but the screenplay does her no favors, and ultimately she's lost at sea with a very one-note character. Kate Winslet gets my number four for Sense and Sensibility. Uh, just doesn't do anything for me. You can see uh, the talent there in Kate Winslet, but the film and the role just don't do all that much for me. I'm okay with her placement um, here in supporting. Um, it didn't really stick out to me while I was revisiting it. Uh, but then again, I'm not really fond on it anyway, so she gets my number four. Heard. Um, my number three is going to Joan Allen. Um, I think what Allen is doing here is brilliant. Um, she does, you know, again, stick out for me like Stone does in Casino uh, with being um, something to remember and look forward to in such a big epic. Um, but there, there is a point where I almost wondered if if we had a little bit more from her to do, uh, if she would have truly just blown my socks off. Because she did a pretty good job, but there's something missing from me for this to give her to have her go any higher than three. So with that said, I have to give it to Joan Allen at number three. Andrew? I have Mira Servino, the winner at number three. Uh, I think the film leaves a lot to be desired, but uh, I do like Mira Sorvino. Again, I do find her very endearing and sexy and funny, but I do wonder if another actress could have done better. Ultimately, though, I mean, the screenplay isn't one of Woody's finest, and Mira can only make so much of it. Mira Sorvino also gets my number three. Um, there's something about this performance that just makes me weirdly happy for some reason but i also recognize that the movie itself is flawed and more could have been done uh with the movie as a whole and her character there could have been a little bit more digging um perhaps another actress would have done something um a little bit different with it like we had mentioned jennifer tilly uh would probably have been beautiful in this performance but um there's something about her that i do like so she made it to my number three Heard that. Well, I have left Kathleen Quinlan and Mayor Winningham. Um, both of these characters are two characters who I am really emotionally attracted to and feel for. One doesn't have a whole lot to do, while the other one does have a good chunk to do. So this is a this is a weird, weird way to weird, weird choice for me. But I'm I'm not going to pull out a tie. I'm going to give the runner-up spot to Mayor Winningham, and I'm giving Kathleen Quinlan the Oscar. Um, I'm going to start with Mare. Mare, I've seen this before. I've seen this in real life. I think this is brilliant. I think her work on TV is really, really good. 
and I'm, I'm glad to at least give her my second runner-up spot. But there's something that happens when I watch Kathleen in her such limited time that she is able to really draw me in and feel for her and feel her emotion in her facial acting. Again, it's that mirrored, like, Juilliard-Yale drama thing that she's doing. And I think it's brilliant. I don't think this gets enough credit as it does. Um, you know, I think this is very much what people do con- kind of consider a what-the-fuck nomination, a la Leslie Brown and Turning Point, or Penelope Milford and Coming Home, both of which who I did give the Oscars to. Um, but yeah, I got to give Quinlan the win here. I think she's doing magnificent work. Yeah, this is a tough call, because honestly, I consider both of these probably among the 10 best supporting actress nominees of uh, the 90s. Um, it's it's tough, but I think ultimately I have to go with Mayor Winningham as my runner-up and Joan Allen for the win. I think that it's just so fabulous that Mayor Winningham got nominated, given it's such a quiet and subdued performance, the sort that generally isn't embraced by the Academy. And I love that she has a nomination, just like I love that um, Kathleen Quillen has a nomination. But I just, I can't deny Joan Allen here. It's a powerhouse, tour-de-force performance that is goes toe-to-toe with Anthony Hopkins, who is just a monster in this movie and dominates. But she won't allow him to dominate their scenes completely. She's right there with him, and she's stealing scenes, and she's kicking ass, and she's just amazing. I mean, I can't think of another performance of a first lady on film that comes anywhere close to this, not even Natalie Portman and Jackie. Um, so yeah, this is right up there with my favorite Best Supporting Actress nominations. It's just incredible, but I love Mayor Winningham, too. Um, I agree. Mayor Winningham is my runner-up, and I give the win to Joan Allen. Uh, Mayor Winningham is great in Georgia. I completely buy this character. There's a real authenticity to her performance, and... I love her voice. I want to go to her concerts. I want to be friends with her. I want her to cook something for me in her kitchen. But um, Joan Allen and Nixon is truly something else. There is a real tragedy to this character in the way that she continues to follow this man in the position that she feels as though she's in to continue to be his wife and cheerleader and there's a there's a real conflict going on inside of her that I think comes through. And it's one of those performances that makes you feel all kinds of different things at the same time. Because you want to, on one hand, you kind of want to root for her while you're also yelling at her and you're also kind of pitying her. And it's a very complicated performance that, brought, that, that brings out some very complicated feelings from me. I'd love her to have her own Pat movie, to be honest. I, I'd watch the hell out of that. <laughs> I just want everyone to have their own movie. But uh, Joan Allen gets my win for the year. Well, uh, one thing is for sure. We all agree that Mayor Winningham is a great runner-up. Yes. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we all had her at number two. Yes, we did. All right, Brandon, kick us off. All right. So as a reminder, your leading ladies of 1995 were Susan Sarandon in Dead Man Walking, Elizabeth Shue in Leaving Las Vegas, Sharon Stone in Casino, Meryl Streep in The Bridges of Madison County, and Emma Thompson in Sense and Sensibility. And I'll kick us off here. And I am so upset right now because oh I God. am putting Sharon Stone at number five. Whoa. My beloved Academy Award nominee, Sharon Stone, does not belong in this category because Casino 
is not about ginger <laughs> and i'm pearls upset. have been grabbed <laughs> i am upset sharon stone is my number five andrew who is your number five well for me it's it's clearly emma thompson uh it's the only performance of these five that i don't love if you put kathy bates and dolores claiborne in this lineup you'd be talking about one of the all-time great best actress lineups in my opinion right up there Again, it's not a bad performance, but it's just, it's such a snooze compared to the other four. And I mean, I love Emma Thompson, but just not in this. Well, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna need to also take you guys for a loop and give Emma Thompson the fifth, which means unlike Brandon, which I don't think has ever happened before, I'm actually okay with, with putting Stone here in the lead. So this, I'll get, I'll get to Stone when I get to a ranking, but Emma Thompson is my number five. Um, I've said what I had to say on it. I don't want to sound like a broken record. Emma Thompson, five. Emma Thompson's my four for basically the exact same reason. Um, just doesn't do a whole lot for me. Andrew, who's your number four? Well, it's, it's gotta be Susan Sarandon, I guess. Um, I really like her in this. And, you know, I think it's a very haunting and moving and all around convincing performance, but it isn't my favorite Sarandon turn, not even among her Oscar nominated work. And she doesn't quite grab me like the other three, but at the same time, I mean, I think it's generally a pretty deserved win, even if she's ultimately fourth for me. I got to give it to Meryl Streep at four. Um, I just, in the long run, I feel like this is just like her Cry in the Dark nomination where we're rewarding accent work compared to actually really good work. Um, it's not one of my favorite streeps. You know, the more that I'm thinking about it, I remember when we did our episode with Kevin where I said I would put probably Silkwood in my bottom three or bottom, yeah, bottom three performances of Meryl. This would probably go in there too. It's just, I've seen her do so much better, but... I want to love this, but I just, I can't bring myself to do it. I can't. It's just, she's not doing anything for me. So at number four, I would put Meryl Streep. Um, Meryl Streep gets my number three spot, but it's not because I consider this a bad turn for her. I really do like her in Bridges of Madison County, but um, I don't find Francesca as interesting as I find the other two characters and thereby performances. So for that reason i suppose meryl streep gets my number three spot god it's hard because i love these performances so much i think i have to put elizabeth shoe as my number three which hurts because there's nothing wrong with this performance and i'm so glad that she's an oscar nominee and she breaks my heart every time it's there's not really a whole lot of rhyme or reason behind it i mean other than to say this is just an incredible top three I would uh, have to say Susan Sarandon as my number three. Um, I think what I think she's here. She's here. She's queer. She's not going anywhere. But like for me, Stone and Shoe do so much more, and therefore she's got to be put in three. The final two are just way too strong for me to put anywhere less. So I have uh, Susan Sarandon in Dead Man Walking and Elizabeth Shoe in Leaving Las Vegas left. I'm giving Susan Sarandon the runner-up spot, and I'm rewarding Elizabeth Shue for leaving Las Vegas. I really do like Susan Sarandon and Dead Man Walking. I find the inner turmoil that this character is going through 
really fascinating. Um, the whole the, the conflict that is just going on in her mind and heart from beginning to end, I find completely powerful. And this movie really has an effect on me. And I think Susan Sarandon is a huge part of that. But Elizabeth Shue in Leaving Las Vegas is just tremendous. Um, I'm so glad I revisited this movie for this episode because there is a whole lot going on with this character that I think gets overshadowed in a way by her co-star simply because he is so loud and big. And I think it did a disservice to her with voters because when the movie's over, you're more likely to remember the larger than the universe performance that is Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas. And that's a shame because Elizabeth Shue is truly heart-wrenching in this. And I find the, the self-destructive nature of her character really devastating. And their final scene in the in bed is just something else and completely took me by storm when I watched this movie again. I had completely forgotten actually how exactly this movie ends. And that scene actually snuck up on me, even though I had seen it years prior. And I can't deny Elizabeth Shue this year, so she gets my win. Well, so I have Sharon Stone and Meryl Streep left. And I'm going to put Sharon Stone as my runner-up, which means that Meryl Streep is my winner. Um, I adore Sharon Stone in Casino, and I'm I'm fine with her in lead, even though I think it's right on the fence. Um, I, I mean, I just, I picture Sharon Stone driving her car up on Sir Robert De Niro's lawn, falling out of it, Sir and just throwing a hissy fit. And I mean, holy shit, is she amazing in that scene, in that entire sequence. I mean, this is amazing, incredible, just delicious work all around. But at the same time, Meryl Streep, there's something almost, for me, magical about her in this film. I think that it's career best work from both her and from Clint Eastwood. I don't think they've ever been better. Him in front of the camera and behind the camera. And she, I mean, I I consider myself a big Meryl Streep fan, even though I wouldn't give her the wins for Sophie's Choice or for Kramer vs. Kramer. For me, this would actually be my first win for her over her career. Um, there's just something so special about this performance, something that just moves me on such a deep level, and it really does come down to that car scene uh, but there's other marvelous scenes in this film, too. I mean, overall, it's just so sensitively, beautifully directed. And for me, Streep has never been more ravishing, more lived in. I just think it's an absolutely perfect performance. And, I mean, odd as it sounds, I really do think that she deserved to take this. So I have Sharon Stone left, and I have Elizabeth Shue. And like I said, I wanted to comment on that really quick because normally Brandon and I do agree where I feel like even though we don't agree on how we differentiate supporting and lead when we do our, our, our lineups, I would say Brandon, what pretty much 10 times out of 10, we kind of agree on where someone's at really. I don't think that's, this has happened before. Um, so I am very much on the fence with stone here, but I don't, I'm going to leave her where she's at, probably against my better goodwill of judgment or whatever that saying is. With that said, I have two women in two movies that take place in Vegas that deal with two t- forms of prostitution. So who do I give an Oscar to? Um, one is very showy. One is very in-your-face, a la Stone. The other one is very 70s, 
subdued but very emotionally arc like emotionally arced and very powerful. Um I am going to say just like Ingrid Bergman, it's a tie. I am going to reward both Stone and Shu. Um this is my first tie in the lead actress category since we've started this. No, actually it's not because uh, the 1968 episode had it. Never mind. Um, but for the regular season, this is the my first tie in this in the lead. Um, Stone is delicious in the form of her over exaggeration, and she was delicious in the form of her modest yet heartbreaking performance. I don't think that for me, I would truly be able to choose here. And because of that, I am rewarding them both. Both Las Vegas ladies. Both Vegas ladies, for sure. I mean, I'm not going to lie, for a long time I've always been Team Elizabeth Shue, um, but it wasn't until rewatching Casino that I was like, fuck me, what do I do? Um, yeah, and therefore I, I Stone and Shoe should have tied here. All right. Well, gentlemen, that was fun. Yeah. This is a really um, good episode. So every episode, of course, we ask, uh, did either of you expect my wins? I did not expect Kathleen Quinlan, although I'm, I've learned never to be too surprised by your wins. Kathleen Quinlan did not surprise me after hearing your contrarian opinion during that <laughs> portion of the episode. I was like, oh, well, there's the win. Um, I did not expect the tie, uh, but so that part surprised me. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I don't know what contrarian means. Was that a diss at me or what? You you went against the grain. Okay, I get it. Um, I will actually say, Andrew, for you, the Meryl love here really took me by surprise. Um, I kind of knew after hearing about you saying it's your favorite, I was like, oh, he's going there. Um, and Joan didn't take me by too much of a surprise. Meryl did. Brandon, I would say, I honestly expected you to go Sharon Stone until you got to your ranking. So the Elizabeth Chu thing after Sharon was like, oh, she's in. I did not expect Joan Allen from you, though. I thought she would have gone for Mayor Winningham. She was really close. I like Mayor. But if we were if we're disregarding the concept of categories, Sharon very well might be my winner. And if she were in supporting, she also very well might be my winner. It's just this whole silly concept of lead and supporting that... uh. I ultimately decided that she's not the lead. It's not about her. She's just a very big part of this big story. Do we yeah. think that Sharon Stone would have won had she gotten a sporting campaign? I think yes. she would have been a, a front runner. I don't know if it ultimately would have gone to her, but I think she definitely had a chance. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely think so. I see. Was it? I can't remember because we've done so many episodes. Andrew, was it the round table where I talked about the Ellen Burstyn thing with Requiem? I don't I, think so. I don't think it was. Okay, so there, um, Craig Jordan, um, who we had on our 1988 episode really quick, then for you, Andrew, he, um, he had a friend who used to be Ellen Burstyn's assistant when Requiem was coming out. Um, the studio wanted to put her in supporting, and she's like, no, absolutely not. I'm a lead, and I can be mm -hmm. Julia Roberts. Yeah. And um, I feel like that kind of happened here with Stone, because there's no way... Sharon fucking Stone at that time was going to be a supporting actress. She's like, I'm the lead. I can do this. Right. And so I don't, I, I think she would have won had she been put in supporting, but I don't think her ego would have allowed her to be put in supporting. Yeah, exactly. She had that old Hollywood mentality of uh, stars or leads. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, Andrew, is there anything you want to plug? Um, this, mind you, will be coming out probably around Thanksgiving, so anything that would be happening around November? Yeah, so at this at that point, I will be uh, probably just doing you know my Oscar predictions on my blog, which is uh, the Awards Connection, and uh, for the most part, I'm uh, over on Twitter, of course, at Awards Connect, and then occasionally I write for Gold Derby as well heard that well thank you so much for finally coming on i know it's been crazy trying to get you on with scheduling we've had some issues so i'm glad we worked through that finally yeah it was a pleasure yeah really great episode Uh, i'm I'm so pleased you got to join us you have some really great insight and uh you're always welcome here thank you of course well until next week folks i am joey gentilly and i'm brandon stanwick Oh, I'm Andrew. <laughs> Andrew and Carden. That, and that, that is Andrew Carden. <laughs> and this has been Academy Queens, your LGBT guy through the Academy Awards per decade, per category. And gentlemen, on three, this has been the class of one, two, three. 1995. Alrighty, guys. Until next week, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.